0: All right, so let's, let's read this verse. Woo, walking with God in suffering. So we're going to hope to carry this on from where Tyler brought us to really, really well last Sunday. Okay, 1 Peter. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump back to verse 6. 1 Peter 1, 6. This is God's Word. Are we ready to do this? We're going to do some work today. Okay, do some dealings. 1 Peter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it's even tested by a fire it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ jump down with me to verse 13 So, because of everything that went before, we read, therefore, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So I want to do three things in our time here today. Um, first thing, I want, to, I want to frame suffering as the crucible, as, as a furnace, which is where Tyler took us. Um, and and you, you can't do this with the, the books that the world will offer. You can only approach this by faith. This is ridiculous in the eyes of the world. This is not making your life better, embracing and viewing suffering as something that God will use in your life. It's insane, but we're going to go there by faith. So I want to frame that just for a few moments for us. And then secondly, I want to look at how the Bible takes us to walking with God in suffering. How do we walk with God in suffering? Because I want to recoil, and I don't want any of it. I want to be comfortable. Take me to the pool, and I want to throw a tennis ball around. And, and not for very long, because I'll get tired, you know, 43. And, and then I want to sit, and I want it to be warm. And, and that's all. I don't want to talk about hard things, but I need to. So I want to talk about walking with God in suffering. And then thirdly, what Peter does for us, and most importantly today, is set your mind for it. Gird up the loins of your mind, old English. Like, be sober-minded. So God today wants you to go from here with the blessing of having a mind sober, and like pulled together, like if you had big eastern clothing and you kind of did a big wrap like that and pulled it in, that's what you're going to do with your mind today, to face this week with a strength in God ready for the trials that come. Yes? we're going to do it. So suffering is a crucible, first one. So by the time we're finished in like the next 28 minutes, sadly, there'll be too many children across the world would, that would have died from abuse and violence during that time. I sh- I'm, I'm a dad, I have kids, I, want, I have nauseous, I want to throw up thinking about it. There's hard things happen across the world. Sometimes enormous numbers of, death, de- of deaths that happen in one event, like a cyclone or an earthquake, where there's like 300,000 reported deaths just happening at the same time. Thousands die every day in unexpected tragedies, and hundreds of thousands around them crushed by grief and shock. And that's where we went to last week in this passage. Though you have been grieved by many griefs, this is happening. And so here we are, and God's Word says it that way. And so you and I have to not be Dan at the pool. We've got to be us with God going to griefs and suffering, and it's heavy, and uh, sorry if you didn't expect that in church today, it's God's Word, so no apology, yeah, so no, sorry, actually, for you, no, so no sorry for you, yeah, so this is the human condition, Shakespeare wrote, each new morn, new widows howl, new orphans cry, new sorrows strike heaven on the face, and not just, not just with Shakespeare, even, even better than that, all through the Bible, there's a strong theme of grief. And so you, you go to First Peter, you go to Revelation, go back to Genesis, go to the Psalms. Psalms Psalm 34, 1-3 through 3 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Feels good. His praise will be continually in my mouth. Hands raised in church, going well. My soul makes its boast in the Lord, feeling good. Let the afflicted hear... And be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. The afflicted, be glad. What is God's Word doing with me? The afflicted? I don't want to do it when I'm afflicted. Something has to happen to me to lift my hands in the midst of sorrow and grief and suffering when I'm cut down to pieces, and just want to bury my face in the carpet, I can't do it. I need help. I need a helper. I need a savior. I need God to, to teach me, and show me, and change me. And that's what God's word does for us, where the afflicted say, I'll still praise him. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a miracle. It's, it's crazy. C.S. Lewis frames this work of God. I'm just framing suffering here. God, he says. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, and shouts in our pain. And he suggests that God is speaking to you and I in the midst of pain. And so the, so the Bible gives us a fiery furnace. So I need you in the furnace. Okay? So you, need, you just need to come with me. No, like... It's not comfort time. We're in the furnace. And the Bible calls it walking through fire, Isaiah 43, 2, and 2,500 other verses, okay? So here we are. And now in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 4, 12, a fiery ordeal. So Peter picks it up at the beginning and at the end. So God's got a love letter for you in 1 Peter full of the fiery furnace of, of suffering. And he's speaking to you about you and I being in that. And, and here it's a fiery furnace, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 6-7. And, and that's the thing with a furnace. It's dangerous and it's not safe. But if it's used properly, it doesn't destroy. It doesn't destroy the right stuff. Maybe it destroys other stuff. Things put in a furnace can properly be shaped and refined and purified and even beautified. And you walk in a dark and difficult life. You walk surrounded by maybe, maybe in maybe here you won't have a cyclone, but you have a cyclone and you have hard things and whirlwinds of darkness and wickedness around you. And you're walking if you've done if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, read it again. If you never had, go there and read it every day because this is your life. There are monsters in the bushes. And there are difficult things. And when the road seems smooth, your, your whole foot goes in a hole and maybe breaks and you just didn't foresee it. I'm not speaking it over your life. May your foot not break. But I, I, I'm not going to flatter you to say go and live a smooth life when there are howling, vicious demons of awful wickedness and darkness around you in this life. They are present and they are here. And they will not go if you and I pretend... And the day you and I start to get really comfortable and pretend they're not there and start to convince ourselves that things are not difficult is when you should be really worried and concerned. And I want you alarmed today. I want to alert your soul because Peter in a minute, here's the trailer, kind of the nod, the teaser, You know, he's going to say in a minute, gird up your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, but we're not there yet. So that's kind of a preamble. So this is the remarkable view of suffering. It's got to be noted. It's got to be faced. We need to endure this with faith. And so one view of this is in the book of Daniel. So i just give you this one picture, and then I'll make a comment. So in the book of Daniel, you've got these, these three guys, faithful men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you know the story if you've been in church any time, and they find themselves because of their faithfulness in a ridiculously difficult, horrible trial all the emotions flying. I mean, it's just, God's so honest with his servants. You know, Paul shows up at church and says, I I came to you in, to the church in Corinth, I came to you in weakness and in trembling and in fear. He's saying, I'm emotionally shattered today. It's not typically what you hear from the preacher, but the Bible's more honest than we like to be in the West and in this age. And God's honest with this. These three faithful brothers go into the fiery furnace and the onlookers see. They see one, two, three, and then wait. There's There's a fourth one in there with them. And so in the image God keeps giving, whether you're in 1 Peter or the book of Daniel, is that God doesn't have a business coming along and saying, I'll take this totally away right now. And I'm not here to explain to you the mystery of why he won't do it right now. Because I don't know, and the Bible doesn't explain, that God will do that right now. So I'm not going to address it. But somehow he does not say, I'll take it away right now. And in that image, and this is you, in life, there's a fourth man. And onlookers, not just churchgoers, Christians, onlookers say, there's a fourth man, one like a son of the gods. And so God says, I will be with you in that furnace. I won't be the author of calamity. And here's the second thing I want to say. I'm not going to teach you that I delight in it. I'm not happy about it, but I'll be with you. And that's the point I wanted to make in here is, is that God is not happy about suffering. He's not, he doesn't show us like, I want this for you. He doesn't explain that. And so, you, so to, to illustrate this point, you have Jesus show up, and Lazarus has died. And Jesus shows us God. You see God in the face of Jesus. Fully God, fully God, and yet fully human. And he shows up, and there's weeping, and there's great trial, and there's great calamity. And he loves Mary, unmistakably loves Mary, so jealous for her. And what you see right here, as he comes along, I mean, he knows he's going to raise him from the dead, and he's going to do the thing where he's like, take those grave clothes off. And, but he displays the perfect character of God, because that's what Jesus is. Hebrews chapter 1, he is, that's, that's the Greek word, character. He is the character of God, and he shows up. And some of your Bible translations, I made a little list. I can't actually find it right now, but made a little list here, and, and your Bible might say something like, Um, it doesn't really matter, I can't find it. But your Bible might say something like, um, he was deeply moved. Or one translation I'm remembering, he groaned within himself. And these are a couple of the places in the Bible that are just woefully inadequate. Because Jesus comes along there and the Greek teaches us so strongly that he snorts loudly like a wild animal. He demonstrates irrepressible anger. And here's the point I I just want to make for you. As you see Jesus, His his anger, this righteous, perfect, beautiful anger, is demonstrated in the midst of our suffering. So while He's with you, He's not saying He's happy about it. But He's saying, I'm going to be in this. And I'm going to feel it with you. That's what's happening with Jesus and Mary, whom he loves, and Lazarus, who he loves, and the whole family there as as his bowels move, the Greek teaches us, the inner parts of God, the most gentle and delicate, most sensitive parts of God shake as he hates the grave and just is... just. I don't know what kind of screaming. I'm not going to try and do it. I mean, you would probably offend you if I like try to let out a big giant howl. I suppose it's not really done in Western church. I kind of feel like it. Shall I? No, 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 no. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not, doing it. I'm not, doing it. I'm not right now. All right now. Stop tempting me. <laughs> That's what Peter is doing. So I've I've framed this for us. And I want you to do dealings right now. I don't want to give you information. I want you to look into the face of your Savior, the only one that can carry you through what you'll experience today and and be experiencing tomorrow. And so this is the living Word of God in your station in life. You will be in a furnace. And I'll be with you in it. And you can only get that from God. You can only get that from Him. I just want you to do dealings right now. Look at his face. Look into his eyes. Draw near to the Lord. That's where we're, that's where we're getting in the, in the be sober-minded. Draw near. Do it now. Hear him say as you look into his eyes, God, this, this is hard. This hurts. And hear what he's going to say. He's going to say something like, I'm, I'm with you and you won't be destroyed. Uh, hopelessness. I, I won't allow, I, you might feel like it, but I'm not going to allow you to be snuffed out. I'll be with you in your troubles. I'll bless you. I'll cleanse you. You might not have the capacity to understand it, but I'm going to rebuild you. I'm preparing you. I'm going to sanctify you. And when you look back at the Lord and you take your hand and you strike him across the face, it sounds offensive, I know. You and I already did it 10,000 times at Calvary with all of our disobedience and our dishonor and, and our disgust and our bitterness, and our disobedience to parents, our disobedience to law, our our murderous hearts, the lust of our flesh, as we did that anyway, and as you do it again, He'll still say, in His unflinching, perfect integrity and character, I'm still with you, and I won't let you go, and I'm going to have purpose in this, and I'm going to make all things new one day, but right now, I'm at work, I'm cooking, I'm going to take what evil meant And I'm going to turn it. And it's mysterious. In this, Peter has the audacity to say, you rejoice. Though for now, if necessary. What's he hinting at there? That it's necessary? That's my teaching. You've been grieved by so many various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, will result In the strong praise of God. I mean, how does someone come along, a counselor, a physician, and say, You lost them to death, to the grave. They did that to you. They took that from you. You lost your reputation. They slandered you that way. How does a counselor come along and say, There's a work going on that's going to result in a riot of praise. That's the question. That's the question. Peter's giving us this. Peter saw this in the life of Jesus. There's no other religion that even conceives of such a thing, of God walking with you. And so you've got these, you've got these old paintings of God. My mom loved painting, so she'd always take me to the museums. I was so bored. You see those... Sorry, Mum. feel bad, but not that bad, but they are boring, but I'd look at these paintings, and you've got, I can't do the face. When I was preparing the sermon, my face felt like I did it, but I can't, but you know the face, it's like this mild Jesus, and they're so wrong, I'd hate to break it to you, but the Lord has shown He's the most joyful of all men for your dignity and your success, And he's the most sorrowful of any other on the planet. He feels the deepest. He's he's the one perfectly incensed by tragedy. He's the only one that has this righteous, perfect anger, irrepressible anger towards death and disease and hell and the grave. And he's near to the broken hearted. He's able to sympathize with you in all of your temptations and weaknesses. He cannot possibly be neutral in what you're feeling. He draws near and weeps with those who weep. He has never not wept with those who weep. His mind is on the sparrow to feed the thing with a worm. The tenderness of the Savior, like he feeds the, the bird fed it breakfast this morning how much more is he on it for what you need to cover you he clothed the lilies of the field the the things we tread on underfoot and he comes and says i clothe you i cover you his hearts for the lonely he puts them in a family like like someone said earlier in prayer he's slow to anger abundant in loving kindness No other story like it. Who does that? And so what I want want you to do is look at the wounds of God. I want you to look at Christ at Calvary, the sufferings of the suffering Savior. And this is what we do as we teach the gospel. We say, look to Him. Because when you do that, there's a, a remarkable strength that comes to you and I. Sounds crazy, but that's what the Bible says. You know, you're going to see a slain lamb on a throne, so it better not be too weird. So, so if it's weird, just get weird. Get used to it. Look at the wounds of Jesus with me. It's what Peter's doing for us. And as you do, strength comes. And I want to... I want to finish the the final piece thirdly here we kind of framed this furnace we talked about walking with god god with you i want to finish with this third and final area of how peter can say get your mind together gird up the loins of your mind be sober-minded here in this this passage here in verse 13 prepare your mind for action this is going to serve you well For a really long time. This is God's Word. Prepare your mind for action. Be sober minded and set your hope fully on the grace of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I want you to catch a glimpse of what will happen when life here is all finished. This will bring grace to your heart. I want you to catch a glimpse of what's going to happen when you've struggled all the way through and with many, many joys and successes and times at the pool. But this life is a struggle and you need to be furnished with strength for this walk. I'm, I'm, I'm uniquely concerned for, for many of you in your generation in your 20s because the culture gives so much of have a great life and you should. And, and be whatever you want to be, and, and, and you should, and you should, and, and you're going to do awesome and great, and, and you will, and you should, but there is so much equipment that needs to happen in your soul for mums and dads to tell you, you're going to get punched in the face, and it's going to feel real, so get your mind together. And get sober-minded. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, and I'm not rejoicing in it in any way. But something's going to come along, grab you on the back of the neck, shove your face into the concrete. You've had it enough, and you're going to have it over and over. Because you're in the ring. And, and, and you don't get your nose bloodied unless you're in the ring. It's a quote from somewhere. It's really good. I probably can't claim it, but... like bloodied nose happens over and over and over again and so how do you deal with that ridiculous piece of information and horrible news what did dan preach to us on sunday hopefully just the bible but peter's telling you all of this is going on you've been grieved with many grieves and then he says rejoicing Peter, what are, you, what are you crazy? Secret source. He's telling us, be sober-minded. What does that mean? it like, don't drink wine. Don't, what, what, what kind of sobriety? Setting your hope on Him. And the revelation of Jesus Christ. Something big is on its way. Something is big. Here's what's happening. When you've walked your walk, when you've walked your journey... And you've completed your course. And that's what it is. It's a marathon. It's long. There's days you're going to spit blood. It's hard. Maybe you're running too fast, too slow. You don't know. You just need a snack. You need a drink. But it's a long, long walk. And difficult things will happen along the way. But when you have faithfully held your course, staying in your lane all the way to the end, and when you fall on your face like a righteous person seven times and still get up because that's the idea of running a race with imperfection and a big giant limp hip out of joint wrestling with God then when your struggle is over Peter's gives us here this revelation of Jesus Christ you're going to see him face to face so stay with the Lord here in these last few minutes you will see the Lord face to face That's what happens in these passages. That's what happened with John on the Isle of Patmos. He's exiled, right? It's bad. He's away from his friends. I mean, the list of grievances is long. Apparently, they cooked him in oil. This just went really bad, and it was slow. But he's on the Isle of Patmos. He's in jail. He's imprisoned. Jesus Jesus appears to him. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and the Lord appeared. And Jesus didn't say... Wow! I didn't know you were here. I said, "Let's go. Let's get you out. Let's go. Let's let's get a snack. Let's get a nice towel. Let's go to the pool. You know the pool situation. Whatever." He didn't. He gave him the Lord. He gave the Lord gave him him, and that's what God gives you in the Bible. He get in this very moment. He gives you him. He gives you him, the revelation of Jesus Christ. But this is what's to come. You're going to see the Lord. Just like John did, and when you see him, the Bible teaches, you'll see him face to face. When you see him, you will be like him. So apparently, every difficult thing would have been incredibly intensely practical in your life to shape you into the image of the man, Jesus Christ, who, at last time I checked, is glorious. He's magnanimous, He's patient, he's long-suffering, He's kind, he's faithful, he's obedient. And he learned it through suffering. He had to grow up into it. And you don't get to escape that, nor do I. So welcome the walk of the cross. And When we see him, this is what Peter's addressing, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the end of the age. He's teaching us right now, look forward to the final judgment, because something is going down of cosmic proportions. Now, in that moment, it's not only that evil will be punished like an evil murderer, is punished by going to jail. See, we, we can punish evil, but we can't, you can't undo evil. So if you have a vicious murderer who goes to court, and the judge says, you've been tried, you've been convicted, you're a murderer, you're going to jail. The judge can't turn to the family and say, the person that murderer murdered, I'm going to bring them back. The judge can't. The jury can't. However, there is one who can bring it all back. And what happens at the revelation on that, those last days? At His return, every eye looking, I mean every eye, good, bad, and ugly, your auntie, your, your mama, your uncle, the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, every eye will see Him. A wounded lamb And he will judge the wrongdoing, and he will actually undo the damage that evil has wreaked upon creation. And he'll do it because at the cross, evil was turned back on itself. The Bible teaches that the very moment Jesus is dying on the cross, he's disarming principalities and powers. He's triumphing over them by the cross, Colossians 2.15. And the image we're given of Christ's walk and his work on the cross and his disarming principalities and powers is like a king who would capture his enemies and then he would shame them and he would start to undo their havoc and he would have a a party with them and it would be vulgar and disgusting in ancient times because he'd take his enemies and he'd walk them through the town and he'd say, yeah, yeah. I captured my enemies, and I'm going to rebuild everything they tore down. And he would say it slowly and in, you know, arrogance. This is the image. And then he'd send his soldiers to snip off their thumbs. And he would say, thou never carry a sword again. And they'd hack off their toes so they would never run into battle again. This is the frail, broken, pompous image. But the perfect image is of Christ's victory over every single one of your trials and sufferings and enemies and sin and death and hell and the grave. And he will undo all evil at that final day. And so in these verses, you and I are told to look forward to an outrageous moment in history. This is the final answer given at the very end to everyone who hear it. And it will be completely satisfying for you. It's going to be infinitely sufficient for you. And so what Peter is saying is that we believe with childlike faith that suffering will be healed and made up for. We have faith by God's word that the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage. Something so fully healing will come to pass. It will, be, it, it will completely suffice for you. You'll be completely happy with it on the final day. He'll wipe away the tears from your eyes. I I promise you. I can't explain the mystery of why it happened in your life now. But I can promise you on the authority of God's word. It's called in Acts 3.21 the restoration of all things. He'll wipe away those tears. Never again will you hunger. Never will you thirst The sun will not beat down on them, Isaiah says, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He'll lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 22.3, there will no longer be any curse. Revelation 21.4, there'll be no more mourning or death or crying or pain. They'll be in that place A complete end of all suffering. And Peter says in 2 Peter 3.13, we look for the day in which we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. The world sees none of this. And other religions hint at some sort of consolation, some sort of comfort. But Christ alone says there's a consolation and a restoration and an utter removal of evil, like a king parading it through the heavens, Slicing the thumb off so that it will all be made right. Everything restored. Harm, struggle, evil, like a forgotten tummy ache. Sufferings like a distant dream you can't even remember. And you can't find it in your journal either. It's gone. Done. Done. Such is the victory of Christ. It will result, Peter says, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I want you to just go here from here today, and this is my hope, my prayer and my expectation is that you'll walk through that furnace, and you'll say, "My friend, I have heard about you. By this time, I'm ready. And even in anguish, you kind of look a little bit differently. And there's a man in the furnace with you. One like a son of God, the God, Jesus. And then with Peter, you'll agree with the word of God and say, I'm going to wrap up these thoughts, even through tears. I'm going to gird up my mind. I'm going to be sober-minded. I'm going to prepare for action. As the Bible teaches, it's just a breath. This life is like on a cold day. Just, whew, it's gone. And look forward to that final day. If I had more time, I'd tell you about a golden scepter that a king in righteousness will swing so hard it'll shatter the kneecaps of wicked kings. Blood will flow as high as the horse's bridle. But that's for another time. But for you, child of God, you'll be seated at a banquet table. You will not be recounting the evil deeds done against you. Can you just gather your mind with every hurt right now? I'm just going to pray and I'll just ask Tyler to come and kind of lead us in a response and breaking bread. But I just want to, I just want to pray for you. Just, just give me a moment just do those dealings just for a moment let the word of god have its full effect so maybe you could maybe i'll just give you these words and you can make this your prayer if you if you need it lord it's really hard but i look to you from where my help comes from and i will not grow bitter and i will not give in to hopelessness But I will, with your word, gather up my mind and set it ready for action. And I'll set my hope upon you, Lord. And upon that final day when you'll come back, where you promise, you will make it all restored and right. And Lord, I just thank you that your hand touches our hearts today. That's what we need. That's what we want. We need to know you're near. Amen.